There it is, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is. Check out my level. Happy New Year, babies. I, uh, I'm i so psyched that it's 2020. And um, in an effort to get better at my podcasting, I am tracking this intro right now, the day we recorded it. Because that that's how you got to do it. If you don't track the intro on the day you record it, it just kind of, you're like, oh, yeah, I got to release that. I got to release that. And then you lose your stoke. And then it's like three months later, someone's like, hey, so like, when is my podcast coming out? You're like, oh, dude, I did that. We did that. I got to do that. So, and it's, I'm sitting in my car, tracking this on my laptop with my headphones. So the sound quality is Menza. I think it works though. I think it just works for spoken word and one voice. It would be weird for two. But today's guest is David O'Neill. Yes. He is amazing and amazingly cool singer, songwriter, shredding guitar player. And he writes dope as hell tunes. And he's he listens to Secret Famous. And then we always see each other's shows and he's talking about it. And I'm like, dude, you really check those out. And so and I was like, dude, you should come on. And he's like so modest. Dave, you're so modest. You're like, nah, man. And I'm like, dude, you're so cool. Not only is he an amazing singer, songwriter, and guitar player, but he like edits movies, uh, film, TV, anything. Shit that we watch. Like, just came back from like, what is it, Dave? I don't even remember. Three months in Munich editing a whole film, doing all this stuff. Let me see. I wrote it down here. I wrote it down. What? what? Tales of the City, The Night Of, No Name Restaurant. He works on the coolest. And he's so modest and so chill. So, Dave, I'm glad we hooked up today january 30th in the morning that was dope i'll play you in with a couple of his tracks it's 2020 um after i hung out with him i just got back from the greenwich teen center that's greenwich connecticut first of all probably like only 20 percent of you even no it's gotta be lower it's like two percent of towns in america have a teen center this teen center it's like the dopest Brooklyn loft you've ever been to. Venue, stage, with this insanely high drum riser that's like six feet off of the front part of the stage. So, do you imagine? I could. I was like a little kid. They're going to hurt themselves. I was watching Pete just try to get up and down it. I went up and down it twice, and I was like, no. no this is just too high. It's like above my nipples, dude. And you're like trying to play an instrument and then like slickly push your, You're like, oh, dude, this is not cool. You'd have to be shredded. I'm doing the yoga, so I'm getting shredded. It was possible, but it wasn't looking cool. You know what I mean? But the funny part about this teen center, I don't know how many... I only know of Scarsdale Teen Center in Greenwich, so I can only name two towns that have a teen center. But this teen center was, like, just stuck in 98, dude. All the movie posters. It's like they clearly haven't updated it in 20 years. It was so amazing. It's so funny. I was losing it. Played at a teen center for Little Kids Rock, and then I'm coming home and I'm like, I got to record this intro right now because this is going to be so much cooler. Because then I just get it out. David O'Neill. Boom. It's 2020. Is there anything else to report? Just, I had a mellow 
mellow, mellow, mellow um, New Year in up in New Pulse, which is where my wife and I go to kick it, chill in the mountains a little bit, or the woods, or somewhere with cool restaurants. And, <laughs> um, and then my little doctor nephew came up with this phrase, the sedentary inflammatory lifestyle. Because after that, it was pretty sedentary. The weather was cold and rainy. And I just basically, when we're chilling, we're just like drinking wine, and eating ice cream and eating pasta. And I fucking came back after sleeping and got a goddamn another sinus infection. So I've been battling my health. I got to go see like some fancy EMT. I don't know. If you have any tips, like hit me to the tips for like, Super fancy, uh, non science fiction shit. Whatever. Here we are. It's January. I'm recording some tracks with Abby tomorrow, playing at the dinosaur barbecue, and then playing the light night red line. So I think, you know, the busy man gets stuff done. I'm just psyching. I'm like, David O'Neill, we got to get it done. The track we're going to play you in for is called Let, Let's Do the Talking with Our Hands. It's like a little country ditty. It's how I was introduced to David O'Neill. Oh, he's a country singer. And then Dave took, David took a few lessons with me. I'm like, dude, I'm like a, a beginning and an intermediate guitar teacher. I'm not like an advanced guitar teacher. If you want an advanced guitar teacher, go hang out with Rick Molina. And Rick will just destroy your soul. He's been on this. He's a guitar player in Wicked. He's like the sickest guitar player ever. You'll show up and he'll just be sight reading Bach chorales and four part harmony. And then he'll be like, you read that. And then you cry. And then he'll be like, let's play country and then you cry. Anyway, David is a shredding guitar player. He writes all these cool instrumental shred fest kind of Steve Morris and he talks about his Steve Morris thing. The song that's going to be playing you out with is called Places I've Been. I'm not going to do an outro because I'm recording this in my car and like people are driving by. I'm sitting in my Civic, which is like my office. I got home. I loaded my guitars into the apartment put my rice on, put the rice cooker on. You know, I grew up with all these skinny Japanese tricks. I'm trying to get skinny. I'm going to put the rice cooker on, have a little rice, a little salad, and then crush like a pound of ice cream because sedentary, inflammatory lifestyle. We have to defeat this. We'll see. Probably not. Probably going to do exactly that. Oh, it's 2020, y'all. David O'Neill, please enjoy this. David, thank you for taking the time. I hope everybody's doing wonderful and delicious catsicles. Dang, that's it. Thank you for checking out Secrets Famous. Everybody, I seriously appreciate that. Feel free to hit me up. Big love, pimpins. Well, my head is getting filled with the thought of things we could do that we're not And we've talked for a year and a mile But sometimes I don't hear you Cause I'm looking at your smile And my horoscope yesterday said In matters of love I should just go ahead And say what I feel and let the chips fly and fall this world is just a big round ball after all And I know I tend to hesitate But some things are better when you wait And we've said so much there's nothing more to understand So let's do the talking with our hands Now I have known you for a while 
like your sound and I like your style And there's things that I know how to do And if you let me, I will do them for you Cause I'm not finished being young And I've got some songs yet to be sung said so much there's nothing more to understand so let's do the talking with our hands i just can't figure you out i think you feel it too but then i have my doubts and i've been knocked down by love before so what the hell was one time your eyes and you've got your nose you've got your fingers and you've got your toes and you've got your shoulders in between and you've got your ears so I can tell you what I mean let's do the talking with our hands cause we've said so much there's nothing more to understand and some things are better when you wait why sometimes I hesitate And I'm not finished being young And I've got some songs yet to be sung And we've said so much there's nothing more to understand So let's do the talking with our hands Let's do the talking with our hands Let's just shut up and use our hands Ladies and gentlemen, we are live. Singer, songwriter, shredding guitarist, David O'Neill, welcome to Secret Famous! Thank you. I think I, I'm, I'm the most qualified to be in this uh, I know. Secret Famous. I'm, I'm having listened to, I think, everyone, if not mo- certainly most of your <laughs> broadcasts. I, <laughs> I'm like... I remember when you asked me about it a while back, I was like, have you run out of people already? That was my... No. No, I feel like you have an incredibly interesting thing, and your music is awesome. Let, think of this: I just played people in. Let's with, let's do the talking with our hand, which I yeah. listened to on repeat this morning. Yeah. And last night, that was your first record. Big yeah. deal. Yeah. Tell me about that track. Uh, I don't know. It's. Uh... I'm trying to think of when I wrote that song because it was probably. Uh, I think most of my songs are actually kind of like end of relationship themed things, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's the breakup uh, track. Yeah, yeah and um, uh, this one was obviously um, more about the beginning of a relationship, I guess. You yeah. Know? So I felt that. So it was. Um, I don't know. Probably inspired by someone I heard and saw somewhere, but um, yeah. I can't say that. I can't say the details. Yeah, you're like, well, (laughs) I can't say that it worked. The song. (laughs) Let's say that. Did you play them the track? Uh, I think. Yeah, I think they've heard it. Yeah. Did they like it? Yeah. Did they laugh? Uh, I don't remember getting any specific laughs. There's nothing really specific to any person in it, 
Yeah. All, all of my stuff is... It's all made up. It's all know? made up. And I try to explain that. I was trying to explain this to a young songwriter last night. I was like, tell me... I know that this song is made up, but tell me that it's about you so I can relate to you easier. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's all made up. It's all just a show. I mean, Showbiz. Well, I mean... It like uh, it's it's made up in that it's not specific, mo- you know, like detailed autobiography kind of thing. But it's it still comes out of some sort of, um, you know, human experience. You know, I don't of course. know that I'm, you either experience or observe. Uh, you know, so. I'm not done being young. I still got songs to be sung. Something like that. That was, right. my, of course, my favorite. I do like that line, I have to say, if I may. Uh, yeah, very relatable, like, lyric. And, I just, and the older I get, the more the more, <laughs> more powerful that line becomes. <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, and that is a good line. And then the whole hook of the song, like, it's a smart, mature song because you're saying something. You leave me with something. Like, let's, like I have multiple lines. You know what I mean? I always say this. I had, David, I apologize. I had my songwriting class last night. And now I'm listening to your songs, and your songs are 300 times better than theirs. Well. Because they don't say anything. They haven't They lived. haven't graduated yet. Yeah, they haven't, <laughs> like, like, come on, you've left me with nothing. And I always say that at least I should be done with your song and have at least one lyric with me. You know what I mean? Right. And you gave me a couple. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you win. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, okay. Like, you talk one about thing. your horoscope. I was into that. Like, it gave me a visual. Right. Um, one thing I do like about that song that... <clears throat> that's I don't know if it's really obvious in it, but it was a fun thing to create, which was um, the last. There's like there's like um, two choruses at the end, but the first of those last two is actually an inverse of the lyrics of the chorus that you have before. So, um, so like the regular chorus ends with you know like so let's do the talking with our hands. So the that penultimate chorus starts with that line yes. goes to the next line that was before that you know like it inverted the lines anyway no, it was, it was a little smart. like no, crafting I, thing that yes I, no that, I caught all that and I caught that there was a tag it was all beautiful and you know you were introduced to me as a country singer songwriter oh so Chris Anderson oh, yeah, said that yeah. he's like hey, he's he's on, he like, plays bass on that he's on the bass on player on the, the whole round yeah <clears throat> and then like Little did I know that you were also, on top of your country singer-songwriting, a shredding guitarist. Yeah, well, <laughs> let me tell you something about that. <laughs> um, there's two sides to your musical journey. I, yeah. I mean, there might, I'm sure there's more than two, but like... Yeah, well, I definitely worked on the guitar a lot in my youth. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not finished being young, but... Um, yes, when... Um, but, um... And where did your youth take place? Oh, shit. I opened that door, didn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it took place in my youth. <laughs> <laughs> in my youth. Utes. The utes? Utes. Yeah, all right. Youth. Um, no, well, let's see. In the, um... It was split. Uh, my early childhood was... Massachusetts, and then later childhood was in Texas. So, like, junior high and high school was in Texas, <clears throat> which is where I started playing the guitar. Mm. Um, and and that's it. 
That's it. <laughs> and why did you pick up the guitar? You you didn't pick up the guitar till high school, you said? No, I was in actually I was in sixth grade. So when we moved down there in sixth grade or before sixth grade, uh, I had a cousin who played the guitar and he had an electric guitar and it was yeah. pretty cool. And uh, I didn't play the guitar before we moved down there, but um, he was playing and we were at at their house and I thought it was cool and. I don't remember now what kind of a guitar I got. It was some some kind of acoustic guitar. And then um, I started taking lessons from, I don't know, it's funny to think about these things. I don't know wh where my mom found this guitar teacher, but it was, a, you know, this woman who had it, the lessons in her house, and she uh, um, was showing me tablature and baby elephant walk and things mm -hmm. like that. And... Um, I wasn't, you know, I, I had discovered Kiss, of course. Yeah. So this, what I was getting in the lessons was not really that interesting to it me. It didn't really relate to uh, what you really wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, but I liked it. I, you know, I, I did it for whatever, that year of sixth grade. Um, and then uh, my cousin had been taking lessons from this um, guy, Mike Ellis, who... I then started taking lessons from him in the seventh grade, and he was teaching me rock and roll. He would figure out the licks and put it right in tablature for me and all this stuff. You'd be like, Walk This Way was like my first, you know, solo thing. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and then somehow my mom also, through some connection, was able to borrow like a little Fender. I don't know what it was, but it was belonged to some some. Guy that like she the, the student guitar, like not like a Duo Sonic or something like that. Uh, it might have been a Duo Sonic. It was a small, the one with like thing. one single coil in one the middle, pick. like weirdly in the middle. Yeah, I don't even remember. Anyway, so then I started learning rock and roll stuff, and you know, and from there it was, you know, I took lessons all the way through high school, and then, but then never took lessons after that really to speak of, you know, except a couple with you. Yeah, um, and. Um, which led me, you know, I got the book. I've been working on the reading, which is, feels really great it in is my brain. Great. I think it helps everything. Yeah, it really does, and it helps especially now with. Now I can segue back into current life. Your current music, yeah, go for <laughs> it. Because, uh, you know, I've been doing these instrumental songs that have very specific bass parts that I've composed to go along with my guitar parts in some spots, you know. Yep. And so. All these professional musicians I've, I've started playing with in New York um, were, were real professionals and you know trained and and so I asked the bass players, "How would you like me to communicate these parts to you?" And they're like, "Write it out," you know, not yeah. tab, not, not recordings, tab. no, no recordings. music. This you know, like yeah. So I started to do it, and I I did also take uh, I knew the fundamentals of music. Um, Notation because I did also back in Massachusetts took piano lessons for a while, and um, and then also violin and then I also played violin and cello and so I you know I so had you're, you're super trained is what you're saying no <laughs> no I had this <laughs> violin piano cello and guitar lessons. yeah but only in only little little tastes of it you know like I mean I was in the seventh grade orchestra and all that and then yeah okay uh, we were talking about you said you regretted. Earlier, you said you regretted stopping playing soccer in your youth. Yes. I stopped playing cello in order to try to play football in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that fun? Why does that make you laugh? <laughs> oh, because of course you did. Of course a young man quit cello to play soccer. I mean, to play football. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Like, yeah. 
in Texas. Yeah. The idea of football and Texas, just in my mind, just because of that stupid movie, Varsity Blues, is so cemented. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. of course you did. Yeah. So you quit cello. Yeah. But I was still playing the guitar that all that time, too. So and how did, you, how did the football all, career go? It went poorly and I was cut finally in the ninth grade so I played seventh I played I think I only played in the eighth grade I also played basketball now that I think about it always Wait, third stringers so I would get I would get my three minutes per game or whatever you know? yeah is this like um rural Texas or urban Texas it's suburban I guess suburban. it's like um a suburb of Dallas yeah. Rich, Richardson Texas mm. and it must have been like it, I have this idea that like football in Texas is like church you know what I mean it's like it's, it's such a communal event, like a thousand. I went to one high school football game in Austin, Texas. I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. It yeah. was like a joke at my high school. It was like, they yeah. suck and no one went. And that this, I was like, they're all wearing the colors and cheering and being earnest about sports. You know, right. what the hell is this? Well, I, um, uh, my, my grade in my, <laughs> was a terrible team. All of, like they, I think by the time the, it was I was in ninth grade and I was no longer on the team, <clears throat> and I think the guy I was playing the, the drummer and excuse me and the band that I was playing with you know we were I mean band we were just trying to yeah, yeah. trying to get ten songs together, <laughs> but uh, um, the drummer was still playing football and and we we had a practice scheduled at some point and but they had won a game finally and so they were all going out to party and so, so no practice no practice yeah. Did you go to the party? No. God damn it. Mm. Sports and music is very challenging to balance, yes. Well, and here's the thing, though, is I played hockey the whole time. I was, I played ice hockey mm. from Massachusetts, and there was I was lucky that there was a youth hockey. It actually existed in Texas at that time. This was before um, the Dallas Stars had started up there, you know. Um, so I was able to keep playing hockey. So I was like a third stringer basketball, third stringer football, and then I would go play hockey and I'd score goals. And you know, I was one of the better kids on the team. How did you and, balance? Wait, basketball and hockey though? Isn't that the same season? Yeah, I don't. I mean, you just you can do anything when you're in seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really tires you out. So. So you did not necessarily you didn't necessarily get into like sh you got into shredding guitar first and then into songwriting. Yeah. Right? Like you were like maybe not ready yeah. to step into the limelight of being the singer. No, I is never this, thought of myself as a I never even thought that I would ever sing. I just felt like that's not <clears throat> something I I could do or um and uh um but I was writing songs. I, you know, I discovered. Um, this is something that I don't know what I can, what I should do with this because I have a, a little folder like that you would have in high school with those little like, you know, three hole punch but like little metal flaps that you just, you know, it wasn't ringed. It was just a, a little folder with pockets, but then a thing where you could put the papers into. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I made one of these typed out like, twelve songs of lyrics that I had written and I had forgotten about these things. And so you just I, found it? Yeah, a couple of years ago. And I I don't know the melodies at all for these things, but so I was I actually was writing songs in high school or whatever. But they were I was trying to write songs like um kind of rock and roll 
things like uh, Molly Hatchet kind of shuffle kind of stuff, you know, yeah. Leonard Skinner's kind of up-tempo party songs or something. But anyway, but I was always wanted to be the guitar player. Yeah, yeah. And so learning, trying to learn my Van Halen or my ACDC in Boston and all that stuff. So. Mm, the heyday of guitar, man. Yeah. That's it right yeah. there. Yeah. I just remember, like, uh, um, that tune, Feel Your Love Tonight, Van Halen, mm-hmm. off Van Halen 1, mm-hmm. which is like... He's got a cool solo in that too, but the rhythm guitar part throughout that song is just so nice. It's like fun to play. If you, you know, I think I figured it out relatively close, you know, but it's it's like, it's not something super innovative, you know, in terms of what he, Eddie's done in other other songs, but it just, he's such a great rhythm player and all that. He's amazing. I mean, he's amazing. What, he altered the whole sound, the techniques, the... Yeah, he was a genius. Really. Genius, and Musical and genius, I mean, yeah. you know, now with YouTube, you can go back and watch concerts where he's doing his big solo, and you're like, this guy. It's even better than the record sometimes. Like when he was in, like probably in the early '80s or something, where he was just really, it was just in some kind of weird zone of genius. Yeah, unbelievable performative genius, and I mean, yeah. he's like smiling and. And jumping around. Jumping around. Yeah. It's like insane. Yeah. yeah. He's insane. <coughs> on this annoying. <coughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. I feel like, and were you writing like little, the, like, and I don't, like little ditties. I didn't mean it like that. I mean, you're mm-hmm. writing like instrumental little parts. Was that kind of early creative kind of compositional things? I don't remember, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I probably had some, you know, like, when you're absorbing these songs, you know, you know that there's a riff intro, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And there's the the lyric section of the song, you know, like I think the, the structure of song made sense to me. I don't know if anyone ever really talked to me about how it works, but I kind of figured it out or something. Um, so, yeah, I think I probably tried to do some sort of, but I don't remember any of the music to these songs. It's yeah, just all You didn't lyrics. have a four track or a... Yeah. And they're all very written by a high school junior in high school kind of stuff yeah <laughs> that's, that's the best yeah I don't know I mean <laughs> I w- my family moved right when I graduated high school and there's just boxes of stuff and I was going through one of them over Christmas break and I found love letters from Valerie Campbell in fifth grade dude oh wow and I saved from them. her yes oh nice wow. she was like the super babe I told my friend he's like bro your life has been a boulevard of unbroken green lights since Val Campbell <laughs> you know what I mean so it's and it was to read it it's so stupid you know what I mean but I it obviously had such sentimental value yeah. even as an 18 year old that I saved it and packed yeah. it I, what yeah it's weird that when you look back in your childhood and kind yeah. of like you're like what the hell is this yeah stuff? yeah or if you you know I have this my my mom gave us all um, these wooden chests at some like close to the point at which we were maybe it was because we were moving down to Texas or something, and uh, and so you know my brother and my sister and I all have a wooden chest. We finished it in a color of our choice, and I I just put varnish on mine, so it's just wood. Uh, but and so there's all this stuff in there, and, there, and then somehow my because uh, you know. Moving around, we we all ended up going to the University of Maryland. My 
brother and sister and I. All three? Because my dad was living in Maryland at the time, and so and then my mom moved from Texas when I finished high school, the, the youngest. She moved up to Northern Virginia, so everyone's up in that area now. Somehow my, my brother ended up with my chest from you know childhood stuff, and at some point he brought it up to New York to get it out of his basement, you know, and so, so many years, this is only just a few years ago, and, and this thing I hadn't looked in, and, you know, maybe a couple of decades or something. Time so capsule, yeah. All these, like, drawings, and uh, $6 million man doll, and all this stuff, you know, like. Yeah, and weird <laughs> so. stuff that you had a sentimental attachment to probably then, but you were looking, were you looking at it then, and be like, what is this? I can't, I have no recollection. <clears throat> uh, some, some, well, I don't know if I, most of it I kind of would recognize, you know, and some, you know, remember. Um, I have Star Wars cards. I don't yeah, know. They might yeah. be valuable. I don't know. They might be. Sure. <clears throat> and Superman cards. Nice. The original Superman, yeah. I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, you can cut that out. Right? It's all good. There's no reason to. <laughs> so, graduated Tejas, headed to Maryland. Did you have a band in... Maryland? I did a little bit. That's where um, the, uh, the Bob yeah, Dylan so, bug hit you? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Um, well, okay. So now I, st- I studied film, radio, TV, film. At um, Maryland? Yeah. It's a, the department is now defunct, actually. Yeah. But, uh, um, and um, so, but, uh, you know, I was always playing the guitar as much or more than I was studying, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but um, I forgot what I was going to... Oh, in my freshman year in college, I got involved in this uh, student union concert organization, and the first concert that I worked on was Steve Morse. Oh, my God. And it, it changed my life. I could tell. You know? Yeah. It really, like... to. And, you know, I didn't really know the music. Maybe I'd heard a couple of Dregs tunes or something, you know, before. It didn't really, it didn't connect to me. But to be able to be, you know, 20 feet away from Steve Moore's first album after the Dregs, like really in his prime, it, 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 was, an, it was an amazing concert, you know, like the, the, yeah. the musicianship of everyone and his playing and the, and the music itself. And and the rapture of the audience, you know, because like everyone there is, uh, you know, idolizes him. And I didn't know who he was, but I, but so to just like it, just like you know, it just completely completely demolished me. In a yeah, way, yeah, in a good way, you know. Like I was like, oh my god. Was he there with a trio? Yeah. And hasn't he been playing with the same guys forever? Is that am I, no? I think uh, was the first. I mean, he's trio. been playing with. Deep Purple for like 20 years now, so... He's the lead guy in Deep Purple. Yeah. <coughs> with Blackmore. No. Blackmore's out. Yeah. Richie Blackmore's just Richie Blackmore. Yeah, I guess so. Rainbow, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but and he was or still works with the Dixie Dregs? I don't know. I you, I mean, the thing about Steve yeah, Morse is he's got this wrist problem. I don't know if you know about that. But no, I don't. Because he plays in this, you know, he like he's got this super... Two two finger thumb grip on the pick, and yeah. he's and he's super, you know, he's super fast and all that, super and, and, fast. and and like, super um, clean. and uh, but over the years of all this playing, because he's been playing constantly for you know, and I guess he practices all the time, and all that, 
and uh, and he's losing cartilage in his wrist or something. I don't know. Oh, like I've seen Jesus. him playing with like you know compression things on his thing, and now he's like, um, if he's going to do a fast run, he just does it all with his arm now instead of with his hand. You know, like it, it kind of looks. Looks painful. Actually. Oh, yeah. this is a it's horrible tough. story. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's. I mean, Ugh. I would say like, you know, certainly he's a my my kind of main guitar hero. At least in my formative years there of like learning that stuff and aspiring to that kind of thing. Um, and uh, um, and I would say, like, I, I, I when I think about it, I think. Uh, if he knew that he would be suffering at his age, at this point in his career, would he change course or would, it, would he say that, that's worth it yeah. to, to, to do what I can do for the time that I can do it? You know, because hmm. um, I mean, I don't know if he walks around in pain or if it's only when he's going to try to play fast. I don't know really what's going on with him, but. but uh, yeah, that's like a, the, the old football player injury. Like, yeah. yeah. You destroy your knees for the rest of your life. Yeah. Man, I didn't know that. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, listening to your shredding stuff, all I hear is Steve Morse. I so know. It's I mean, like it's you, like... You get... You capture his, like... I, and I, you, It's, like, quirky, but funny, but cool, but unique. Like, it's a unique... The way you bend notes yeah. into other unexpected places. Right. You, you might be talking about Nicky Barbato. No, probably. you do that, too, though. You write these little Not like things. Him, but... He's... Yeah. A trip with bending. Yeah. Like, you're like, what the hell? Yeah. I mean, that's his whole sound. Yeah. Well, you're not, you're I mean, doing it with, like, a melodic thing. Like, Well, I, I mean, if I may talk about Nicky for a second, because I just saw him two nights ago, or I don't know, it was Monday, Monday night. night. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was assuming I would see you there, but um, I don't know. You must have had another gig. I, well, go ahead. Anyway, but, uh, so, when I first saw him that first time, his, like, CD release show... <laughs> Which he did the intros of each song. Yes. And then I got the CD, and it was exactly those same intros between the tracks on the CD, which is so funny. It's right? so funny. It's so, but, and the music is so great, and, and his music is funny. His music is funny. Laugh like, out loud. His funny, yeah. playing is like funny. I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's really genius uh, and very unique. And then, so anyway, on Monday night, because I've listened to the CD, um, just about every song was a new song to me. Like, mm -hmm. and he was saying, "This is a new song. This is a new song. And it, it's even better." Like, I feel like the next wave of his stuff is going to be even better. So, anyway, very excited about him because I feel like he's got a really unique voice in, the, yeah. in this in this world of guitar. He really does. Which is, there's a lot of voices in the world of guitar. There's so. a lot of <laughs> <laughs> world of guitars, and. But, you know, like, that's a really interesting thing. I was really going to try to. I was in Woodstock at Dreamland recording, and I thought we were going to get done at 6. I thought we had an 8-hour session, but we got 12-hour days. So two 12-hour days. First right. of all, I think I'm still tired from that. I can't, yeah. But we had 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and oh. I thought we were going to be done at 6. Right. I purposely was going to drive right to this show because I right. did want to go. It was yeah. a special show with... One of my favorite drummers in the world, Josh. Oh Dio. yeah, oh, monster. He was so good. He's a monster. And uh, one rehearsal is all they had to do it, and it was like <clears throat> he was. I talked to him afterwards. I'd never met him before, man. And he was he was saying that he 
he really listened to it a lot, so he could he wouldn't have to be reading the charts, I guess, so he could know the music. But but uh, I mean, he's amazing. He's amazing, <laughs> and he plays with all of the best guitar players. So I yeah. feel like he he understands guitar at such a deep level. Yeah. So I really I wanted to see that just because yeah yeah I hope he'll be with them. I know they're going to play next month too on that. You're, you'll probably be playing that night, the February twenty fourth. Yeah, like, I'm uh, going to play with Abby that night. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I do. In the world of guitar, it is because like <coughs> this. Do you check out any of these Instagram guitar players? I haven't really. It's but, a horrible, uh, horrible wormhole. But yeah, I mean, oh God, it's just so funny they're, how many of them sound exactly the same. Well, I, you know, it's um, there's a, there is actually this like pretty big, I don't know what you call it, market or scene or you know genre of I feel like of like chops, instrumental rock and roll stuff totally. that's going on right now. Yes, and I was trying because I was thinking about this if we're going to talk about this, like because I I um, look I look around for it and I follow links and I'm looking at. There's some elephant something band, you know. There's like these uh, Polyphenia or something like that, also, and Pliny, Pliny or Pliny. Do you know that? Intervals. There's so Interval, many of them. Right, and they're and that their chops are so beyond what I. Otherworldly chops. Because I, you know, yeah. on top of all this, I work for a living. Yeah. You know? Like so, and uh, so I'm not. Oh man, it's it's amazing what they're doing. The and the. And then they seem to be able to do it live too. Like the sound is good and killer. Yeah, but I've, so many people are trying to do that particular thing now. Yeah, I'm like, think, dude, I, you all, and Nikki are doing your own sounds. You're pursuing this is the sound. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, kudos to you guys. That's oh, what, and yeah. Nikki and I talk about this all the time. Like it's like, yeah. why are these guys all trying? Like that's not what this is about. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, and I think I think if if there's a critique I have of it is that. Oftentimes, I mean, it's one thing to maybe have one of your songs that maybe is kind of goes atonal and atmospheric or something, and doesn't and has an energy to it that's chaotic or something. Mm -hmm. But if that's all that the sound is, you know, like there's this Audio Tree live series which just does a lot of these bands, and um, and it and it's uh, I don't know how they learn these tunes. I don't know how they write these tunes. It's amazing, but. I can't. I can't. When you hit stop, I'm not humming the the melody. You There's no believe. like I can't find it, and so in a, uh, you know, it has. There are people who obviously like it because it's being. It's, there's enough of an audience that's supporting their tours and all this stuff, but, um, but I for me I'm just more like, I'm definitely low tech, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know, I don't know. I I want to. I, I I always want to feel like, well, did we ever talk about this about songwriting? Like, um, um, I've, like somehow I had this idea that a song should be have this clarity of section, as if the songwriter is t giving you a tour of the ho of a house, mm -hmm. and you would say, "This is the foyer. It's the intro, or whatever. Here's the living room. It's the chorus, the verse. Here's the dining room." And then when you go back into the living room, the listener should know you're back in the living room. Yep. You know, like you should feel these parts We're back in this section. be yep. different, different sections. And I feel that way both about the lyric writing songs and also the instrumental songs, where you really need to know a part has ended and you're on to this next part. And then when you come back to the other part, it's a familiar place, you know. Yeah. Know. And that's where I, 
That's where I feel like these other amazing bands don't give me that when I listen to the music. And maybe it's in there, you know, but it's... It's a little it's, harder to identify. It's, yeah, it's hard to find for me. But yeah, maybe I don't listen to it enough. But. Yeah, maybe that's it too. Because, like, for example, I didn't understand a few years ago, many years, seven years ago or so, I didn't understand that band Meshuggah. Right. Do you know that band? No. I mean, I've or, heard was, of them, but, yeah. There were, people were using that word gent, D-J-E-N-T. Oh, yeah, yeah, gent, like, yeah. I, I was like, this is, it was so aggressive, and it's low, and all these great musicians were like, this is, this is the shit, man. Right. And I couldn't hear it, so I mm -hmm. forced myself to listen to it day after day after day after right. day. yeah. And then I got it, but, yeah. and, and but their yeah. thing grooves super hard. It's like a deep groove. Right. I can't, I don't know if I'm catching that from this, like, incredible chop thing that's happening with these particular players yeah i'm i'm like you like i said about so like i'm leaving with nothing exactly yeah. how you're feeling you're like yeah. that was like watching a great sporting event like a sick michael phelps swimming like perfect technique right so fast right but then you're like what the hell did i just what, what is right but he's under the water he's, he's under the water i couldn't see anything that's funny that's cool that you're checking that <laughs> stuff out though because yeah, i do well, i do think there there is people checking it out though you know what i mean yeah yeah so yeah and i you know because i think okay well now i'm recording these songs and what am i going to do like do i do it because I, I i sometimes will try to find out who their management is or something and the thought that maybe i'll approach some of these people to see if there's a way to you know maybe maybe what i have will be appealing to somebody in this genre and like you know but i don't know that's self-promotion is definitely the it's the hardest part of the yeah. whole business yeah yeah is so is your new record just to clarify too is it going to be the instrumental guitar thing yeah yes yeah. but you're writing out bass riffs yeah by hand or in uh i write them by hand yeah isn't it <laughs> but that's so valuable like, I, I love it i mean it, it, right i've really enjoyed the process of like doing my first draft you know by hand and erasing and scratching things out and and then I'm figuring out how many bars I could fit on a line, and then doing a, a manuscript version by hand, also, you know, mm -hmm. and then uh, scanning it and sending it to. Uh, Chris played uh, one of my one show. Uh, Chris Anderson played with me and did three of those tunes, you know. Yeah. And then, uh, but from mostly it's been um, Tony, Tony Tino. Tino. The, he's a, yeah. he's a, talk about a genius. Yeah, yeah, he's that's uh, amazing, and you know, okay, so because I wasn't. I never, I wasn't a professional musician like you guys are, where you're really playing all the time and you're working on how to put music together and all that stuff. And so once I started <clears throat> playing with these professionals, I was, and I've learned so much from them about playing in the pocket and how the bassist and the drummer work together to, mm -hmm. and, uh, and really appreciating, you know, how to make, music good and not necessarily that it's good music but do the music well mm. I don't know if that makes sense it but totally like, makes sense but um, yeah like and uh, you know, to be able to to see to and then I start to recognize when it's not working well you know like whereas I don't know if I would have been able to quantify if I go see a band or something why it's not grooving yeah feeling yeah, good yeah yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah so it's been great great uh uh, Brian Basordi has been playing the drums, and you know, with all, and all these too. tunes and the recording of these that I've been doing, um, and uh, Spencer Cohen played on my vocal album, Big Deal. So that's Spence and, he, and um, Chris. Yeah, and there was the first fucking killing rhythm section. I mean, yeah, you, know, you get really good bands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I hope I hope I express my appreciation to them enough. You know, um, 
but um, yeah, and they and they you know like meeting these players and realizing that they're they're not just guys like me who want to play music or whatever and have crawled their way into you know into being available as a drummer and being able to do it, but like they studied like you you know, and so they they you know. Like I remember being at the recording with um, um, Spencer, and we were talking about some additional percussion thing, and he and he was writing it out, you know, writing out the thing in no, in notation. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, it's that's like a legitimate musician <laughs> kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, it's great. No, that is great. I mean, it. Well, music is is never ending. It's never. It's true. And you yeah. can go hang out with a bunch of other because you know there's all these little cells and pockets of players and musicians and you'll like learn their aesthetic might be totally different you yeah. know what I mean like <clears throat> the way certain musicians approach things and stuff you know what I mean like how yeah. to me it almost is like how free and loose things can be and then how like structured certain musicians like to be yeah. there's still like a big even within professional musicians of like barometer of like right because that's what I like about Dion is I feel like he just makes the music free. Like if he told yeah. like he memorized the music so he can be like yeah, totally and just free with it. Play it instead of play it. recite it's it or whatever yeah, you, yeah. You, whatever the word would be for like uh um <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. But I but <laughs> I love writing music out too. Like I did the session we did at Woodstock, I had this whole long two-page chart. Yeah. Uh, Cuz we didn't we weren't able to rehearse. So it was like you have to get your ideas across quickly. They right. can all read. Right. Boom. They can just play it. You know right. what I mean? And they're like yeah. nailing it. Wow. What and is they, it? What's this project? I mean, well, this is that's the, just the thing. The high school, high school, oh. the college band that became a band. Right. And then we haven't done anything for a few years, but we had some money left over in a pot. So we like, we originally wanted to make a record with the money. So right. like seven years later, we're like, okay, and that's where we went up to Dreamland in Woodstock. Wow. And which is an old church, right? And it's in Woodstock, right? And it's so it already feels hippie, crunchyish, right? And then there's all this percussion around, like rain sticks and go-go bells, and we ended up putting it all on the record. So right. it's so funny how much the studio affects the music, you yeah. know what I mean? Because it yeah. became so hippie and so crunchy and shit just because of where we were, you know what I mean? So where are you doing this new record? Ah, uh, I was just thinking, uh, it's um, Riley McMahon, Riley McMahon. Can't say it all of a sudden. Riley, Riley McMahon, McMahon, and he's got a studio called New Warsaw Studio. It's out in Bushwick, and uh, and I did the first four song EP of instrumental stuff there as well. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and it's great. He's got this kind of I don't know. I mean I don't I know so little about all this technical stuff, but he's got this analog board that. Everything goes through and sort of warms up the warms sound. Up the it feels. Signal, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it feels really. Um, it doesn't feel digital to me, you know. Like I, you know, and you know, it's Pro Tools, and we do a fair amount of Edits. getting myself, you know, <laughs> a little back, you know. Like, yeah. I, well, it's interesting for me because the first four songs we did when I was doing the guitar tracking, I was playing on top a lot of the beat, you know, and maybe a little because I was. I don't know, it's hard to play, and I you get, you get um, I was getting tense, uh, and so you know 
we helped a little bit digitally with that kind of thing. But then on this, these next five songs that we've done, the I've somehow I've relaxed and I'm like my my playing has been kind of in the pocket now, mm-hmm. which is great. I, I don't know. I was, you practice it all with a click, um, repeatedly, thousands of times. Mm, I used to, but not so much anymore. But you know, I did. I did. Um, I think it's, it's just like learning. Seeing what was happening when I played and knowing, being cognizant of, of laying back, and laying back, and not you know not pressuring myself. Um, and then I did a, a garage band recording of one of the new songs uh, last summer or something, and uh, and I, and just being alone by myself working on that, I it, I think that's probably where I started to really get the feeling of laying back a little mm, I don't know yeah 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 so, absolutely it's, anyway. that's a super deep super subtle super professional thing you're talking about yeah oh, oh yeah. I think right like yeah I guess so I mean it's uh, I guess I don't know you, sh- you would know more than I well I, <laughs> no that's such a deep thing and I feel like you can instantly sense an amateur by the way they feel the time yeah you know what I mean because yeah. it's like and uh, it's not there's people that are able but it's like relaxing and it's almost I always think of it like as a headspace too it's like a mental thing we yeah. all have the ability to play in time but maybe you're so excited to be playing music or you're like yeah, yeah. but if you relax here it can it comes out yeah. here I, that's how I feel yeah. I can tell when I'm getting stressed or emotionally volatile and my yeah. tracks sound like shit yeah. and you gotta squeeze your, it's like yeah, yeah. It's, it starts in the head and it uh, and I, I think it's also for me, at least in my playing, it's I also have to co- consciously relax my hands a little bit and say, you know, like especially my, I think especially my right hand with, with if I'm doing something that's a fast run or something. Yeah, yeah. To just um, relax it, you know, mm. like physically think, all right, let that hand be loose now, and you know, yeah, at least in this, you know, you know, you I don't know about technically uh, challenging shit. Um, and doing it live is, um, I don't know, it's interesting because, you know, because, again, like, I don't think of myself as a seasoned professional like you and all these other guys that I see and, and play with. Um, but uh, slowly, you know, starting to have moments where I'm, like, um, uh, feeling less worried. Uh, what's the word? How do, it's like... Especially with the instrumental stuff, and some of it's very challenging. We don't. We, oftentimes we boff it, you know, like it doesn't really work. So but hard, there's yeah. an energy still in that attempt, like it's like kind of. But um, but to to um, I don't know, relax and just play it and perform it as opposed to execute it. I guess, yeah. In a way. I don't know. Yeah, it's but, a it's a subtle subtle thing. Yeah, and I, I think the I don't know if there's any any other way to to get there except to play yeah you know and play with people who are way better than you yeah, yeah that's I, that's me, been helping me quite a bit <laughs> yeah no that i still learn all the time like uh, and i think there's just something so it's like almost violent when you listen back to yourself in a recording studio with a click and i always liken it to like when you wake up hungover and you look in the mirror at your face and you're like oh my god 
You know what I mean? Like you're hearing yourself so raw, right. so real. There's not compression. It's right. like, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. I'm horrible. Like, <laughs> I think it. Oh, I, it's funny because I think uh, I may have sent you those the four tracks um, way back when I was doing them because I was. It's like hearing the sound of your own voice, kind of like what's going on right now. Right now, you know? yeah. Like um, you have to get um, comfortable with that first. Yeah, yeah. and so. So I think I had a bit of that, even though it was just guitar playing, it was sort of like, like I had that filter that you have of like hearing your own voice where it can be like, do I sound like that really? You know? <laughs> I mean, and you were so. having, you were talking about a bunch of, I mean, this is the guitar nerd wormhole, but of clean versus dirty versus compression and right. finding the balance of it all right. and like... I call it the tone quest. Mm. You know what I mean? The tone quest doesn't ever end. As I always say, I had a saxophone friend. He's like, what? He started playing guitar. He's like, what the hell is the deal with the pedals? Like, when does this end? I was right. like, it never ends. Yeah. You're, <coughs> yeah. It, you're only beginning the journey. <laughs> yeah. And I, man, I, I've gone off on a side trail that didn't actually go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, when I play, uh, I, I'm, I'm way behind on just about everything, I would say. But, um, uh, you know, I have a few pedals to store, like a Tube Screamer and a Boss Delay pedal, and I do have a phaser for one, I, for one I thing. Phaser. But um, uh, but you know, I go when I play wherever I play. It's the house amp. I don't know what it is. I put everything at five. You know, mm -hmm. tone and Cold I don't know. Show. Yeah, and I and at home, I, I'm not always futzing around with tone. I mean, I actually have a Fender Twin that I've lug amp. lugged around for years, and I, I don't think I've ever played a show with it. I don't even turn it on, because it's too... You can't play a Fender Twin in an apartment. So in loud, yeah. yeah. It's so big. So I should probably get rid of it and get something smaller that a could be Princeton? useful to me. Yeah. A deluxe? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's anyway. funny that we're, you were talking about this, though, because Nikki and I were talking about this last night. He said he felt outgunned at that show because he only had his Princeton. He's like, I needed more headroom to I, get over everybody. I will tell him that he was not. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's he like, had such a great tone on Monday. Oh my god, that he, was a, such a great show. I mean, the, I didn't, I didn't even know the keyboard player's name, but he took John some, Swift. Yeah, he took some solos that were just. It was, you know, he's sick. Top of the world, you know. Yeah. Like if you know, you go to. I don't know, I was thinking, like, why would anyone go see some big-name jazz people when you can go walk in here for free? For free, see yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, when are you going to, when is the new record going to come out, you think, roughly? Uh, I guess, in the, in the I guess hopefully the in the mixing spring. And mastering kind you know, of mixing thing? and maybe the mastering will happen in a few weeks or something, I don't know. Did you get the artwork done and... I have a draft of artwork that I'm will probably do for this, but that you I, did. I, yeah, I mean it's like a. It's, I mean, if it's what I do for it, maybe I'll change my mind. But like, if I do a fold wallet fold CD, I was thinking of doing this close up of the frets of the guitar with the strings going across, and just I don't know, just sort of a graphic thing like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I don't know when it'll come out, but but it's coming up. Yeah, because you're in town for it. a little bit, relaxing and yeah, 
You well, I'm not really. I, I'll be working. You're <laughs> <laughs> I'm not relaxing. Yeah. Uh, tell us about this Woody Allen story. Mm. Oh my God. Um, You're in a. It's a TV show or a movie. Uh. Well. The, okay. So, I do have. I got. Well, I so I work in editing world, and so I have. I did work on one Woody Allen movie. Okay. And then um, through those contacts, they were they needed a song for um, uh, a bar scene in um, Irrational Man, and so the editor, of course, I'd given them my music just in case, you know. Yep. But uh, the editor put in one of my songs in that bar scene, and and the director said that's fine, and so that was it. So, and then. Um, uh, then the producer emailed me when they were doing the Amazon series that Woody Allen did, um, and ask, asking me for like solo acoustic songs. And so I sent her some of those and she said they were good. Um, and how would I feel about doing them on camera? And I said, I would feel good about that, I guess. Of course, and yeah. so, um... Yeah, I, I I kept waiting for it to all fall apart. That they were someone was going to say, Psych. "Oh, we got yeah. an actual actor to do this." What you know? But I know, yeah, right? Yeah, but uh, no, it's yeah. So I'm, so I have this uh, little, you know, I'm like the musician. They go to see a musician, uh, and so, um, that it's just like the establishing of the scene. So there's a guy on stage. It happens to be me playing the end of a song, and then people clap. I leave the stage, and the scene begins. You know, kind of thing. And so, what is that song? That is Warranty. Warranty is the one that made the TV series? Yeah. And that's so and then when I knew that that was happening And what I, was the name of the TV series? Uh A Crisis in Six Scenes. Ah, okay. The the um how should I put this? And then your song was in a movie, and that was called Irrational Man. Irrational Man. Irrational, Irrational Man. I-R-R. Yeah. Yeah, 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 with Joaquin Phoenix. and. Oh, he's amazing. Uh, and um, and that's a Woody Allen movie. Yeah. I got to see this. And that was that angel in the snow? Yes. Nice. Yeah, the instrumental version. So now, the instrumental version, which you create, you know, when you record your um, albums, you just want to create an instrumental version in case they you know take want to use it in a yep. show or something and they can edit with it you know like if they need to um have an instrumental section that lays under dialogue or something and then come back to the vocal or whatever you, you just want to have an instrumental version available um but they just put that in so it's just i mean it really sits behind the behind all the dialogue it's it's basically a sound effect you know it's like like if you're gonna edit a scene in a bar, you're gonna put in certain. You're gonna record it as quietly as possible, just the dialogue, and then you're gonna put in sounds of uh, glasses clinking and people talking and and footsteps going and chairs and and music. And you so the music is really like a sound effect to create the soundscape of a bar. Yeah. But you don't want it. You don't want people to be listening to that song. You want them to feel like they're in a bar, mm-hmm. but hear the dialogue clearly. So that's that's what you know. It's not. They didn't. It's not like the montage of you know, after the breakup or something like that. You know, but you have a million plays of that song on Spotify. I do. No, do I? Thirteen thousand plays on Angel in the Snow on Spotify. Oh, you gonna check it out somewhere? I check it got, that out. It there might be a... some money waiting for me. Yeah, there probably is. I could have bought your coffee today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I was like, wow. I 
was putting your thing together, and I was like, it must be this song in the movie because this has like substantially many more plays. Right. Not funny. that any of that matters, but it's funny about that song because I put up a live version of it <clears throat> from Rockwood, uh, and um, you know, of me playing. You know, play, I think it's um, Chris and um, and uh, Brian Basorti on drums on that show, and uh, somebody took the audio of that live recording with picture and everything, put a image of a snow angel up and put that song up and it has like tens of thousands of views oh on a, on a YouTube video <laughs> on YouTube and, I, and I've even commented on there like there's a there's a video of this also <laughs> like you know you made a video for it yeah no yeah. I like it's a live on YouTube is my live video <laughs> of performing the song someone took just the, your audio and they they took my, the audio off of it and put a picture up and they have like more views than anything else I have on YouTube it's so weird. I don't know. I don't really know how why that it's happened. Wild, wild west out there, man. Yeah, it's weird. So maybe that relates to maybe. I don't someone know. Someone heard it on that and put it in a playlist. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. But I think well. So my instrumental version of "Angel in the Snow" is now <clears throat> on the soundtrack for "Irrational Man." So, yeah. so you can you can get the karaoke version basically if you want to. It's available on iTunes. That's awesome. Um, and so, because you just gave us this clear uh, sound effects scene, did you? Do you? Is that your professional um, thing? Specifically, I, well, I if you're willing to talk about it, because I'm I, fascinated by it. Uh, it's your you, job. You're probably like whatever, man. But like, um, I think it's interesting to. Well, yeah, it's. I work in in editing, in like post production, and it used to be almost all movies, and now with all these streaming services, there's tons of. TV, if you want to call it TV, it's almost like episodic, maybe is the better term for it. Yeah. Um, uh, shows that are going on, and it's very busy in New York now, and it's good stuff. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not, um, there used to be this sort of, there were movies, cinema, cinema, and then there was TV, which was a little bit schlocky, but now TV's gotten, TV's, I mean, they shoot it with TV's the same, high art now, and they right? shoot with the same cameras. There's no, there's no actual t- difference between them in terms of their the visual content you know mm. like um it used to be tv was this you know super low res by in comparison to like film you know now so now anyway so no that's uh, interesting yeah. and and let me guess well for like 20 grand or 10 grand anybody could probably have that level of camera at home right i mean yeah i, I don't know how much the like the Real cameras cost. They probably cost quite a bit because they're it, shot. When you talk about that, they're shot in maybe 4K. Is that the peak yeah? Now they're or whatever? shooting 4K. Um, and uh, a big thing though is the lenses. You know, because because yeah. like I think iPhones can shoot 4K, but um, but the the lenses are what make give it a cinematic look. You know, like um, so that that's a lens package is is a lot of very money. expensive. Or, yeah, or yeah. you rent. I guess they also rent them and stuff. But um, anyway, so I work in mostly as a, an assistant editor, which is like being on the editing crew in a way, you know. Like, um, and uh, and in that job, you kind of do everything. You do sound effects work. You do visual effects work. There's all sorts of things that you can do with a digital image now that you can't believe anything you see anymore. <laughs> you know, like you can't not and not just in visual effects stuff, but like um, we do split screens and you know, and they uh, to change compositions and timing of actions within a shot and 
crazy, uh, crazy editing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's wow. It's it's so you're saying you could chop a scene a scene in half and change the speed of this action as opposed to. I'm holding two hands next to each other, right. left and right. Yeah. But you're in each the left scene to the right hand scene, you could change the speed of that. Yeah. Yeah. You like could. if this person's getting a drink of water and you wanted it to happen earlier. Yeah. Yeah. If that's you, nuts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and I that's guess. yeah. It's it's not that hard to do either. And there's you know, when it was film, uh, any visual effect you do is going to cause a degradation in the quality because you have to create a new negative by combining other elements. Whereas in the digital world, there's no loss. There's no loss of quality. So it's yeah. just, it's just, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. But infinite possibilities. Yeah, and now, and yeah. because you have these things, like you have this red bottle on your desk, and when they get to finish the film or the TV show. They might say that red bottle is kind of distracting. Can we make it blue? Yes. Okay. And they can just change it blue. You know, so you can't, you can't believe anything you see. You know, like you can yeah. sort of, you know, every show like there used to be this. <laughs> I know this is probably getting boring. Maybe no, no, no. This is fascinating. Um, Trust me, this is fascinating. But uh, yeah, they're way into this. We used to. There used to be like. Uh, People would say this is a VFX show, meaning like there's going to be a lot of visual effects shots if it's an action thing or science fiction or something or, you know. And then there would be shows that weren't VFX shows, which would be like a drama or, you know, a romantic comedy or something where you would say it's not a visual effects show. But now they're all visual effects shows, you know, because... <laughs> That's like, the bar now. Yeah. I, I worked on um, Tales of the City, okay. which is um, that series that's been around for a long time. Not Sex and the City, but Tales, Tales of, of the, the City. City with Laura Linney and Olympia Dukakis. And, um, and that's, a, that's just a straight-up kind of you know, drama, comedy kind of thing. But they had this big set that's supposed to be an exterior backyard, and all around it, they just put up a giant wall of blue screen. So this, this dramatic show is actually super visual effects heavy because just about every shot that's in the little backyard is going to be a visual effects shot because you've got, you have to put sky in San Francisco vistas out, you know, on, out there, and so anyway, it's a whole art in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, it's all VFX these days. Wow, <laughs> that's interesting. That's fascinating. And it, I mean, how do they decide who does what? Like, do you have one really specific thing? It's like, all right, yeah, you're doing just the San Francisco vistas for the next three months, or uh, is it that specific of a gig, or is it like you're uh, gonna you're gonna go into every shot and make the bottle blue? Um. Hmm. I guess it's sort of. I don't even know how, how would you divvy like, up it's, that it's, word. Yeah, it's more like um, departments, I guess. So you you would um, you would have the the picture editing department, you know, where you'd have an editor and the directors or producers would come in and work on refining the edit. Um, and then you would, if it's a visual effects show, which they most of them are, <laughs> you would have a visual effects company that's contracted to do the work, and so they would often be on the set to sort of supervise the how it's all going to be captured. And then, uh, um, and then once they do the edit, then, then now you're narrowing down the specific shots that are actually going to be cre turned into visual effects. So then, yeah. then you send those off shot by shot to a, a facility, a company that's going to actually execute the work. But while you're working on it, you, we often do temporary versions of that. So we'll put it, you know, if there's like a TV screen that has to have a specific thing playing in it that they're watching, or, or even if it's just in the background. Like, oftentimes, if you 
people go into a, a bar with TVs in the back. They usually shoot them with just green screens, and then they'll will put that content in. Um, and so, in order for the visual effects company to know what to put in there, we usually do it in in the editing room and put different pieces in there, and and then. It's once template, once that's yeah. been decided, then then we have all those elements that we can send to them with specific counts to say put this in at this spot and yeah. you know so so it's um it's like that. Now let me ask this question that I can imagine because like right you're tracking vocals in 2020 on a digital you have to you could track the verse like 20 times right is it the same thing with <laughs> shooting scenes now are they doing the same scene just 20 different times and then someone has to go pick them. Yeah, I mean, just lot, as grueling as editing vocals. It's yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, I've, they've done that since movies were being made. They would do multiple takes of things. Multiple takes, yeah. But uh, yeah, I would say um, we're, de- we're the- dealing with a lot more footage now than we used to. And um, uh, on the, I worked on that show, The Night of, the HBO show. Okay, and um, we would have like 20 minute long takes of a, of a five minute scene. So they would just say, let's go again without cutting camera. They would just, you know, instead of saying cut, you know, and then they reset, they would just say, okay, let's go again from the top. And you would, you would have four or five takes, which within one long clip, you know, which is really becomes very difficult to manage that and be able to, to know you're looking at every performance and finding the best one, you know, because you're, you're making these decisions. It's not the director per se. Uh, no, it's the director and the editors, and you know, yeah. so many people. You'd be like, yeah. "Oh, the way he said, no, hand me the keys is right. like from take five, but right. from take six, and it's all that is yeah. that, well, and the, that would stress me out to no end." And the yeah. thing that happens a lot is we use audio from different takes and patch together a reading of a line for various reasons, like sometimes. Uh, when someone says a word and just so happened that, you know, they put their coffee cup down right on that word in the take that was the best take, well, then you have to go and find that syllable or word from a different take and cut it in. And Oh, my it. God. Which is, I think, what you do in, in editing uh, vocal performances, too. You can oh, yeah. take little pieces, you know, or you can... It doesn't always work, but... Pretty it's much. Possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw a vocal session for that singer, Chromio, and the guy was just saying that, you know, he's kind of a star he just kind of comes into the studio he does 20 passes of the verse and then he does 40 passes of the chorus right and then he leaves and the (laughs) producer editor has to piece it all together wow well so i can't and and this is just yeah like an indie rock star i can't imagine at a high budget hbo film you know where you're like you the bar in competition of you're competing for everybody's attention. It has to be so good. You must have 40 takes of one scene, and someone has to go through them. That's just so time-consuming. I can't believe... Yeah. <coughs> well, it takes time. Yeah, it definitely yeah. does. And, you know, they have... Yeah, it's multiple angles, too, so then that 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 can complicate the formula because, you, you know... Do we, how close camera shoot, yeah. Yeah, and how close we want to be at this moment versus at, uh, earlier or later moments and all that stuff. And once you go in closer, then it's it's awkward to cut back wider. It's you know like, so yeah, it's. And the same thing you're talking about musicians, but there just must be an understanding of an aesthetic and a way things work. 
there's probably all this subtle language that you guys all just have together that I couldn't even begin to comprehend, you know? Yeah, you could. Like, are but, they talking but, about... you know, you have to kind of learn it. Just the way you talked about it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, just like anything, everything has its... has its... Argo? Is that the right word? Lingo? Yeah. Um, uh, well, that is just fascinating to me. What show are you working on now? Uh, I'm going to start on a show that is untitled, actually, on February 10th. Just kind of got the deal set yesterday, so... Again with HBO or this will be an Amazon series. Amazon's the jam now. There, they yeah. run everything. They yeah. rule everybody. They do, <laughs> for better or worse. I, for better or for worse. Or, yeah. I know. It's, I just noticed these Amazon trucks everywhere. Like, everywhere. is that is that going to be like? Is that hurting FedEx and UPS? I mean, is that did like some major shift happen in the packaging? delivery world I don't know there's many job openings for that job too they can't keep guys in that gig apparently like Amazon. if you want a job right now you should be a del- like just any job to go right. work immediately right. they're looking for drivers right. like, and they can't keep people in the job there's well, so much packages yeah. to be delivered there's not enough drivers yeah well and there's some article in the New York Times a while back about like every day there's like 80,000 lost packages in New York City 80,000 yeah which means that millions of packages are being delivered and people leave them on the doorstep or, you know, like there's various reasons why they n- never reach their, their destination. destination. And then people call and, or whatever and they, and they usually just get refunded, you know, like it's yeah. kind of, uh, I don't know where this is all going. I don't know. No one does. We're looking at just, I feel like Chris Ryan always said, he's like, we threw the boomerang out, but it's not really going to come back. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and I all, I'm all, like, when the electricity goes out, it's going to be very difficult for... That's going to ruin you know, everybody. Even yeah. just one day. Remember the blackout? Yeah. Yeah. But that, that it would be even worse today, I think. I mean, a lot of, most people don't have a landline for their phone that actually has a phone that's powered by the phone line. So if the electricity goes out, if you have one of those, you can actually use your phone. You know, there's going to be no one you can call, but... Except 911, I guess. But... I still have a landline. Do you? Yeah. Dating myself again. But. No, 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 no. <laughs> but what, who are you going to call? I don't know. Call my... What's your, what's your my mom and bag? my dad? With, like, what's your plan? <laughs> you just want to let them know you're okay? Like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Or well, I'm not. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you have a plan? Emergency plan? Yeah. No, actually. I don't. <laughs> don't, tell, don't tell anyone. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Do you have a go bag or whatever? I did. I actually had a I had one for yeah. a little while, like with coffee good. and but and rope and candle. That's great. Uh I don't actually have that bag because it seemed in my con marrying phase where I was trying to minimalize my whole life, I was like, This is so over the top. Like right. I don't need this. But my plan is to go to the fresh water. Yeah. To me, that would be the. I think that would be the first problem in New York City. Yeah. Like, what happens to the water? Yeah. So if you drove to a lake or something, and that's a good good idea. That was always my plan. It would be a rough in the winter, though, right? If there's no and you just are you talking about like total collapse of civilization or 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 a blackout for a few days? (laughs) (sighs) To me, it was always my in my theory it was always if there was a like another hurricane coming because that's the closest I've experienced to like. I thankfully, I don't know what prompted this one, but 
I had a little car and I got gas before it. I think just to drive home. And I got a right. full tank of gas. Right. So I never had to wait where people were saying that they waited 12 hours, 16 right. hours to get gas. Right. I was like, what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so that was, look at how quickly that, it was like one day. And it was yeah. like, oh, there's no more gas. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was when Hurricane Sandy was coming in, or uh, and I was at the grocery store, and people were buying all these big jugs of water and everything. I'm like, I drink the water out of my tap, you know. Mm -hmm. I've got Tupperware. I just filled up some Tupperware with water <laughs> from my tap. I don't, I, you know, I don't know, you know. It seemed like maybe some people live in a building where they shouldn't drink their tap water or something, but well, that's why. But I was like, you know, I've. I don't. Ha I don't need to buy a bunch of water. I can just fill up stuff with water in my house. I don't need to buy it anyway. I drink tap water too. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we do have good water. That was my yeah. dad. Uh, after nine eleven, he worked in agriculture, and he was saying there was he was on some statewide board about agro terrorism and like what happens if someone put whatever anthrax in right. New York City water supply. Right. You yeah. Know what I mean. Yeah. So for a few years of my life, I was. Like, oh, my God, man. It's going to happen, man. Yeah. But that hasn't happened. We do have, obviously, good water in New yeah, York. Yeah, I think so, too. Which has to be why it's existed and is what it is, right? I mean... Yeah, I think we're, we're lucky. I don't know. I, we get it from somewhere upstate or Canada or something. I don't know. I, I, I should know more about the water <laughs> supply system, but... Um, it flows down, right? Towards the equator? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, toward the sea, right? Yeah. All right, whatever. Anyway, yeah. that's What that. else can we talk Get about? Get our bug out bags together. Yeah. Uh, so, and I... Well, your job is cool. Is it? <laughs> are you? Do you ever go spend months in L.A. then? I have, yeah. Uh, only, but only once on, this, on the night of the HBO thing. I was there for eight months, which was cool. Do you yeah. love L.A.? Do you like it there? Um, Did you go check out... Slash at the Viper Room or no. Steve Morse or whoever the no. Joe Satriani. I did Steve manage Ott. to play. I played three shows out there, which mm -hmm. was cool. Um, there's a place called Room Five, which is no longer a venue, I think. But um, but we, you know, when you're on jobs, often there's not much time and energy for anything else, you know. So, but uh, LA was cool. Um, but I did like. I enjoyed getting back. However. I was just in Munich for four months. Yes. And I sure, heard man. one of your shows talking about the European life and the dogs in no. Europe. <laughs> yeah. And I had the same observation of, like, people would have their dogs out, you know, and they were just, the dogs were just hanging out. There, there was no, like, I didn't see any dog that was, like, causing any anyone trouble of like come here you know there was nothing nothing like none of that right they're just the dogs are just super sane i don't know <laughs> which is probably a reflection of their of the people <laughs> who feed them um, <laughs> totally right and there's not like did you see any pit bulls i i don't remember I, I don't if, know if i did I've ever see, i just feel like that dog is not in vogue over there like but there like it's interesting cuz i um, was riding my bike to and from work, and it was through um, this park, basically. I mean, it was a long, kind of narrow park, but uh, it was off-road, and so at night, there would be people out, and it's like, 
I don't know, maybe it's a requirement that if you go out at night with your dog, it has to have a lighted collar on, you know. So there oh. would be, uh, so there maybe have been pit bulls out there. I just didn't realize it. You know? All the dogs had lights on their collars. Yeah, yeah. There's cool. someone on my block who puts a big red light on his dog when right. he goes out. But yeah, yeah. I guess that's not really a thing. Most dogs don't have lights, huh? Um, not here. Yeah, but in, in interesting. Germany, it was yeah, it's kind of cool. The Germans are so smart. Yeah, very nice, and they all speak. Perfect English. Not all, but most of them speak. Pretty, I, I didn't re- learn, really learn any functional German because hmm. I didn't have to. You know? I feel like they have such an appreciation for American music too. Yeah, yeah. You, they're always like, oh, "What's your, what's your favorite Pixies album?" And you're right. like, "Oh my god, you know every Pixies <laughs> record." Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, music. It seems like uh, you know, people. Yeah, people will. I don't know. Seem to be into live music more there maybe i don't know did like, you go to some shows no i worked six days a week on that job so i was and that's like you worked <laughs> eight to twelve hour days or yeah something crazy yeah. yeah it was great though I, I you know i was enjoying it i was cutting that feature it was a feature film and i was editing it and so it was really it was really great you were the guy who sat and watched I, 20 minute scenes and had to pick them yeah yeah and what's the and name of was, this film you're so modest. This film is called no, currently titled No Name Restaurant, and uh, it's not quite finished because you know we kind of ran out of time um, with in terms of my time there. Um, but uh, I I have high hopes for it. I think it's got a lot, a lot to offer, and I hope I hope they get it finished. I you know anyway. We'll, Was it kind of like maybe, an indie rock film? Um, yeah, it's an indie. Indie film, yeah. Indie film, and but it had your... su- it had support from, uh, you know, uh, Bavarian TV, something. You know, it's it's the way kind of the way they do it there. It's it's much more um, supportive, I think, of independent. You know, like it seems easier to get financial support. You know. For a film. For a film there. But you were an American year. there, so it was an all American team, or no, no, it was two German. Directors mm-hmm. and um, but the film is in English and it's about a Hasidic Jewish guy from Brooklyn who gets stranded in the desert in Egypt and a Bedouin guy picks him up so it's like a road movie kind of thing. You know? Interesting. Yeah, it's really, you know, they get to know each other and you know, learn, become friends. You know, so. And it's nice. were you there doing the post kind of production editing kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah, just they'd already shot it and. In Egypt? Uh, no, they shot it in uh, Jordan, I think. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, the photography is beautiful, and yeah. But you can't know. You're inside of it. You're like, uh, right? It's like you're so involved in these projects. It's like you can't. Yeah. Do so you feel like you can see it? No. Sometimes you lose. You're like so yeah. inside of you these get things. you get kind of inured to the nuances and so taking some time away is actually I, I haven't looked at it I, I came back at the end of December and I was thinking I, I've been feeling like it's time to take a look at it again and see because I think it'll, it, it can really be nice to watch something and you, you realize what's working you know that you just got numb to and then you can also be more aware of an easy fix for things that weren't working that you also just didn't notice before you know so this sounds like a maybe more of a passion project or something you want to do with friends or was this just like i needed a gig and this um, was a gig? i guess it's in a way it's more of a passion project because there wasn't really much money for it but it seemed like a good opportunity for me to do and you know, to go to 
Germany. Germany. You know? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I mean, coming back to New York after that was, uh, it's like, man, New York is. The buildings are tall and the streets are straight and it's intense and people are mean know. and pissed. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. It makes you wonder, like, what's. Uh, yeah, there's a little more human element to the cities, right? They're they're older and smaller. Yeah, yeah. And the streets curve around because they're they they weren't made on a plan to just build a street. It was grid. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it was like it just happened over time. So it's like, yeah, there's much more human scale to it all. Yeah, yeah. I've never been to Munich, but what's also baffling to me right now, David, is that you're not really a coffee drinker, and you're in Germany, not partaking in their beautiful cult co- coffee culture. Oh. You had a couple of espressos here and there. I think I might have. They had, you know, every every editing place has a machine and everything. So, a real yeah. proper espresso machine, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, they had some sort of thing with the beans in the top and all oh, that. Yeah. Huge, <laughs> but yeah, when I was in Germany with that guy Steve, I remember a German saying to me, "Well, I feel like New York is finally getting good coffee." Hmm. <laughs> I, I, doesn't New York have a good coffee reputation or no, no? I, I mean know. we think we do yeah. you know what I mean but yeah. clearly uh, the Europeans will be like what the hell is this right. I think we've taken it a little too far probably you know they're like yeah well, I just needed coffee I didn't need some fancy drink with elderberry or whatever you know right. what I mean like yeah I don't know I've never I never liked the taste of coffee so I never what about for caffeine and all these crazy hours I drink tea I drink a lot a fair amount of tea actually green tea black tea black tea yeah yeah, yeah. That's your vice. That's my thing. What about sugar? I stopped putting sugar in it after a while. It started to just feel really sugary. Yeah. And also, I just became aware of how much sugar I was, you know, eating. Yeah. Um, so, try to cut that out. Sometimes I still put some sugar in just because I'm... This is nice. Yeah, it is nice. It is nice. And did you... Well, in the German thing, too. What about the German breakfast? The bread? The soft-boiled eggs? Oh, I guess Did I didn't really have stuff? it. I wasn't a tourist there, you know. I, I was, know, you were just like doing <laughs> your own thing. I was getting up and going to work. <laughs> so <laughs> I was eating muesli and banana every morning yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in my kitchen there. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I missed out on something there. Well, we would just be staying at these venues, and like you said, they'd treat us like we're rock stars and right. we're really not. Yeah. And they would always have a breakfast. Yeah. And it was just so sweet and so nice, you yeah. know. But very into their, the egg w- would be like parboiled or soft-boiled and have right. a little sweater on it, like a an egg sweater. Oh, like a in, w- uh, the shell. Would yeah, have the, around uh, the shell. Yeah. I'm talking a literal piece of knitting. Right. Like your sweater right. to keep it warm so that when we woke up, it would still be somewhat warm. Like, come on, <laughs> man. Who thinks of that? That's pretty nice. Yeah, I, that's so sweet, yeah. right? You know, like... God. I didn't have that in my Yeah, they German didn't give experience. you little no. sweaters on your eggs, you know no. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was on my own. What about the beer then at night? Uh, I have beer once in a while, yeah. Wasn't like there something so magical about a German beer? Yeah, and it's nice that the, at least there in Munich, it's like there's all these breweries that would have the restaurant or whatever, so it would be their beer when you go, you know. One thing I, um, I was like, why are they even bothering to do pizza here, you know? Mm. Because the, the pizza was, not that I had a lot of pizza, but I did a, occasionally try some pizza, and I was like, oh, this is not good. You didn't like it? You're no, so close to least, Italy, though. I just feel like in Europe, all European food goes. 
Yeah, not not, not in the places that, you know. Maybe I wasn't being treated like a rock star like you <laughs> were because uh, I was just going to a pizza joint or something, you well, know, what or, about or a restaurant that had pizza in there. Or the Turkish food, like the shawarma, they invented oh, yeah. shawarma basically, yeah. right? Had some good, good shawarma. Good Turkish food, yeah, 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 and uh, you know the incredible, uh, occasional britzen, pretzel, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but. Did you bring your guitar to Germany? I did. I brought my. I had a little, little uh, um, uh, Squire Strat mm. that I should I name drop like this. I bought it from Jim Jarmusch. You bought it uh, from Jim Jarmusch? Yeah. What? Yeah, but it's like for 150 bucks. It's kind of a. Why junkie. was he selling it? Because I was working on a film and he was working on his movie in the same little area that I was, and at some point we're. I had a guitar, he had a guitar, and we started talking, and then he came in and showed me this thing that he was trying to sell, and it was 150 bucks. I was like, that's perfect. I, you know, it'd be nice to have a Strat, an actual Strat kind of thing, but it's not something I need to worry too much about. So that's what I took with me to Germany. Jim Jarmusch is pedaling fucking guitars uh, at the workplace, and you were like, yeah, man, I'll buy your fucking <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's a great story yeah. you know my teacher Rick Molina right who had one he has you did a show with him right? yeah. yeah for some reason he has what is that fucking guy Rich Kelly guitarist do you know that guy I don't know, I don't know. he's one of those it's very fancy Telecasters or whatever right. and he has a, <clears throat> out of Jim Jarmusch's old apartment he has giant piece of pine and the dude Kelly built a few guitars right is this the guy at Carmine Street Guitars Carmine Street yeah. Guitars oh yeah that okay. guy yeah uh, what's that one guitar player B.C. Kelly George Kelly nope Our who was the dude on the Saturday Night Live who played a telecaster uh, oh um he's got the cool hair yeah he was married to Gilda Radner for a little while yeah yeah he has. He Can't has. Can't think of his name because we're trying to think of his name. Yeah, he has one of these Jim Jarmusch pine tellies. Oh right. And so does Rick, and it's like a fascinating guitar. The neck is super fat. Super right? fat. Yeah. No truss rod. Yeah. The wood is so old and dried out. Yeah. You know, you can like tap it and you hear it. You know, right. like the guitar is ringing. Yeah. Know? So I is and is he a good guitar player, Jim Jarmusch? Um. And I keep I, saying his name as weirder as weirder as I can get. I I don't know. I I I've never. You know, I mean, I think when we were talking about it, he was, you know, downplaying his own, you know, guitar, you know, like, oh, I just bang around or whatever, kind of, I think he's into, like, doing noise kind of things and stuff, you know, like, um, making, I, I, I don't know, but, um, you know, he obviously plays, a lot of people play, like, the Steve Zalian, the director of The Night Of, is a guitar player, he, and he actually had a guitar made at um, Carmine Street Guitars as well. They're beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, a telly or a strat. Yeah, it was a telly. Of? Yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. fire guitar. Um, I played it uh, a little bit, and it, it seemed really nice. I mean, those big fat necks—it really makes you think about maybe that's the better way to go. You know, when you have it in your hand and you're trying to. Oh, you got one. My telly has a really fat neck. Yeah, I see. Uh, and 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 the dude was like, "Do you want me to trim it?" And I was like, "No, no, no, no. I like it." Wow. I, there's, yeah. it, but I studied classical for a while, oh, yeah. and they have huge necks. You know what I mean? Right. 
So I don't. I and so I don't really like playing their guitar live because it's a little heavy, right? And a little bit of a That's battle. Heavy? That is a little heavy, yeah. Mm. But I will say that that is the ultimate recording guitar. Yeah. I, I don't know what the like the it has magical mojo because I'm never really recording fast stuff. Right. That would be a hard guitar. It's not like for Danny Gattentelli shit. Right. It's more for like. Johnny Greenwood shit, you know what I mean? Right. But I, somewhere I there was some debate I heard about, um, you know, the like, the that <clears throat> the concept of these thin necks, like on a Les Paul or something, it feels fast, but it's actually not necessarily ergon ergonomically good to do fast things on. You know, like yeah, right, having yeah. a little more meat of the neck in your hand is that might actually be more conducive to. You're playing or something. That know. makes total sense to me. Yeah, like this, I, I where your thumb here, is yeah. relative to your fingers or something, you know. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so you brought the strat, and then in your with the digging, how do you manage to carve out little practice times? Well, is this something you do at the, the end of the night to relax, or do you do it in the morning to just wake up? Or uh, that's the, that's the, that's been the challenge all my adult life. Really, is balance. You know, trying to keep my musical self alive. You know. Sometimes, because some some jobs are like a six days a week, you know, long hours, and you and you really start losing your calluses and yeah, and you're... Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I usually play at night, and you know, and if I book a show, then I really have this thing, you know, two months from now, I have to be ready. Yeah. So yeah. I need to, you know, it kind of forces me to to be a little more diligent about it, you know, even if I'm like wiped out at the end of the day, I get play through the set or whatever and try to keep myself um yeah but i used to, i mean i used to play my scales and exercises all the time um but i don't anymore <laughs> ah, it's, we're all in the battle yeah I mean. yeah and uh, it's funny though uh you know play performing these instrumental songs which are challenging to play but um i don't know it's i think it's it's helped me in some way to be more relaxed about it or, or something. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it seems like having the band supporting the whole thing and being a like we're doing it together as an ensemble and if I don't nail my part perfectly, it's okay. We could just keep going and, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, there's... It's kind of fun in a way when there's a little mishap or something and, you know, you kind of laugh and go with it and, you know... Try to recover. Know, yeah, yeah. yeah. That so, is the fun of it. Yeah, you know, and... Um, I feel like with my stuff, um, I mean, I, th I hope that it's like the instrumental stuff is kind of fun in itself, just in terms of like, if you're listening to the song recorded. Um, and so, I don't know, it's, it's supposed to be kind of, it's not serious <laughs> end of the world kind of stuff, right? So it's, there's like, it's supposed to be fun. And if it's, if it doesn't come out perfectly, it's. Okay. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you think you're going to have more songwriting stuff in the future after this next instrumental thing? Do you think you'll come I back to it? I don't know. That's a good question because uh, I haven't done a lot of uh, lyric writing, um, but I feel like I'd, I'd like to, and uh, and I do have some songs kind of in, in the, the wings. In the, yeah. in the wings. That in fact, there was some that I actually recorded and mastered that I didn't put on Big Deal, and so. I could do like an EP or something if I you know wanted to keep that alive also. But um 
Yeah, I should sit down with the acoustic and you know. Well, it's, I don't know. It's it's funny. You remind me of my friend John Eichley. because he he did these singer songwriter things and then became an obsessive pedal steel player. Ah. And you're yeah. just like, you know what? Songwriting is awesome, but it's such a bitch. Like, yeah. it's, just like, it's so, you have to be willing to expose a piece of yourself yeah. that is sometimes yeah. a little personal. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to reveal that. It might be just something you keep yeah. to yourself. Or you're Steve Morse, and you just happen to have that in your left pocket, too. So Yeah, doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Tell us about, I'll play people out with Places I've Been. Tell us about oh, yeah. this. This is from the second record forthcoming record to be determined but tell us about this um so this song is one of one of my oldest songs actually from way back like a lot of these instrumental tunes i wrote let's just say in the 20th century um and um uh and so it's like um it's i mean it's really my attempt to do a steve moore song you know Mm -hmm. like from uh um I think it, it, the the first album I heard of his was The Introduction, and there's a tune on there called The Introduction, and it has like, um, um, you know, sort of a transitional kind of uh, sparkly kind of things going on, and I and I basically, you know, started writing a song that I wanted to have the riffs, and then I wanted to go into a quieter kind of flowing section and stuff, you know, um, but it's. Uh, yeah, it's been in my life for a long time now. But uh, once we, we recorded it, we did edit it down. I used to have more sections to it that kind of repeated, and so it was like, this would be better if it just keeps launching forward, one part yeah, to the yeah, next, yeah. to the next, to the next, instead of coming back around and kind of have to wait shit, for yeah. the, you know, you don't want to stand around in the living room all the time, you yeah. know, so even if you know you're there. So, um, so anyway, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's... It's a I it's a fun song to play, you know, like I I, I think um I don't know, what else can I tell you about that song? That's that will inform that those enough. who have made it this far into this. Yeah, well, I <laughs> know, I think I I listened to that and I was thinking, god damn, this sounds like Steve Morse. My guitar yeah. teacher in high school introduced me to Steve Morse. And yeah. He was definitely a jazz player, but he appreciated Steve Morse's yeah compositional yeah. technical facility yeah. you know what yeah. I mean because I think maybe sometimes in the instrumental rock genre as we alluded to earlier it loses composition and just becomes yeah. like a chop fest yeah. i.e. ingve or intervals or whatever you're right. like, what the hell is this Yeah. so I think he and so I can I always appreciated his playing and I also on another sideboard to talk about that didn't we maybe talk about this he always I don't know if this is true but he remember him telling me that Steve Morse was a trained airplane airplane mechanic so he could work while he was supporting his music. Is that I, true? Uh, I that think he was like a pilot. He's a pilot. He's a pilot. And he actually, so I remember in the, because he played with Kansas also for some period of time. Yeah, why like would two you, albums yeah. he was with Kansas. And um, Is he the guitar player in Carry On My Wayward Son? No. No. no that no. was way before That was him. before he, he got involved. It was late 80s, you know, that he was on Kansas, uh, but anyway, at some point he did cut off his hair and became a, an airline pilot. Really? Yeah, and I and I remember seeing some interview with him where he where he was saying that he would on his, I don't know where he lived, but he had a long commute on open roads to uh, get to the 
to his job, and he had a miniature version of his guitar, and he would practice while he was driving down the road, you know. What? <laughs> yeah. That's what he said. Uh, that's a, at least that's what I remember him saying. But, um, uh, so, yeah, there was a point at which I think he was thinking, um, getting out of the music business, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, thankfully, he didn't. You know, I mean, he got this playing with. He's been playing with Deep Purple like that's the long. That's his longest gig. You know, is the Deep Purple thing, which they, started maybe in the early nineties. Yeah, or yeah, maybe I don't. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I feel like I remember the Guitar Player magazine with him, and it was like the new guitar player. And right. I rem- I like remember reading it and be like, wow, that's cool. Yeah. We had, oh man, I feel like we're wrapping up, but I was like, no, we can keep going. Well, There's I was no just thinking about Wolfpack. Are you are you tuned into these guys? Because yes and no. Do you hate them? Do you have? Did you get in a fight with one of them or something? <laughs> no, 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 no. My friend, the dude, he's on one of these. Caleb Holly. Do you know Caleb? No. Just taking this out of my pockets. Uh, he is friends with Corey Wong oh, yeah. and Theo Katzman, and right. they're both obviously in that camp. Yeah. And then I know this drummer who just does like wedding gigs with me and shit like that, and he's kind of involved in that world right. a little bit. So yeah. I'm like peripherally know some of the guys right. in that community. Yeah. So cool because when we were talking about like these metal, these heavy metal instrumental rock and roll stuff that that you don't feel the groove sometimes, you know, and but. Oh my God, Wolfpack is groove. Is groove. It's all groove. You know. Mm-hmm. It's, oh my God, it's so good. And then they they headline Madison Square Garden. Unbelievable, right? And it, it, that the whole show is now on YouTube. You can watch it. It's like they had one person running like a you know an iPhone camera all over the stage, and it's a big theatrical performance. Like the guy, oh, I forget his name now, who's like the leader of the band. He plays keys, guitar, and drums. A lot of the time, he's playing playing the drums, and. Uh, and he he's wearing these white gym shorts and high socks and a red shirt, you know, and yeah, and he's just a, a real funny persona on the stage, you know, kind of running the show. It's really great. And then the music's just freaking great. It's so good. Oh God. Anyway, so there's there's that stuff going on too, which is very very um, organic and feels so great. Yeah. So it's out there. Theo Katzman, he's playing. I'm going to go see Theo Katzman in a couple of weeks or something. He's playing in Brooklyn. So his Looking drummer is Jordan Rose, this guy who uh, is from Texas, and he's from Houston. He right. shot through the ranks of New York City. Right. right. <laughs> it was just like, you'd play with him and be like, who is this guy? He right. is unbelievable. Yeah. You know? And through he's whatever that, gigs he's now he's world. in Theo Katzman's band oh nice okay yeah, he just kind of roasted through he's so good that he just became the guy very I mean, quickly and if you're going to play drums for Theo Katzman you have to be good because Theo Katzman plays the drums also he plays the shit out of the drums yeah, yeah. And so, I knew him as a drummer when I met him he was a drummer Theo Katzman or sing and play it, yeah like the, he does. Sing, this yeah anyway I'm looking forward to that show because that's going to be freaking he's incredible yeah yeah so it's very exciting to see uh this stuff happening to see a band like that, you know, headlining Madison Square Garden and uh, and also just having such a such success, you know, it's like like it's it's real. It's not pop music. It's not it's not you know. Um, it's all very, very heart, heartfelt or whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how to describe it. But I it's feel like, like they've perfectly. They can. They've perfectly engineered the internet in a way. Yeah, their videos are unbelievable. So <laughs> Yeah. Like how do you, 
what? How do you get to MSG? I don't know. They must have just booked it so far in advance. They yeah, when there was no one booked there, right? <laughs> yeah, they, I don't know how the hell they did it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know either. But, uh, that guy is a, kind of a genius. He's the I guy. I think he's a genius. He's yeah. the he's the one that that's the band that created an album of silence. Yes. For for Spotify that. Back the, when you the, could defeat the algorithm. Right, yeah. and got their fans to just keep playing it and playing and playing, and they earned money on Spotify, which changed the rules about what content you could put up on Spotify. So punk rock and yeah. badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah unbelievable. Very, very ingenuity, in, great ingenuity, yes. and, uh, and subversion and all that stuff. It was really it was amazing. Yeah, that guy's very smart. Yeah. Very, very smart, and that is... I mean, we were all... I just... Everybody, we're looking at each other like, they're going to play fucking MSG? Like, shouldn't they play, like, Brooklyn Bowl? You yeah. know what I mean? Well, like, I was thinking it would be the theater at Madison Square Garden. That's when I first thought, when I saw that they were at Madison Square Garden. And then I am I went to look for tickets, and it was <laughs> it was in Madison Square Garden. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The whole story is amazing. And then how they're able... Like, Wu-Tang, they have all these, like, offshoots that are... Yeah. Corey Wong. Corey Wong. Hugh Katzman. Yeah. Nate Smith, the Fearless Flyers. Yeah. That oh, shit is oh, God. So then there's like, there's the Snarky Puppy. They're like world. a different family though, right? Yeah, I think so. Is but you know, now there's this I Mark really Letiri, I guess, is in the Fearless Flyers. And Mark Letiri is from Snarky Puppy world. What does he play? He's guitar. Okay. He's... And then, like and then white, of course... Yeah. And Corey then they, Wong and then Mark are the two guitar players in then, in Fearless Flyers? I guess... Yeah, I think so. And uh, the See, bass player, what's his name? Uh, uh, Sean something? No, oh, no, it's that... Uh, <laughs> what's yeah, his yeah. name? The, the P-Bass guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, also it's amazing. not the dude from Snarky Puppy, though. It's no. the dude from Wolfpack, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. 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 And then Nate Smith on drums. I guess, yeah, I don't... I yeah, know. we got to check him out. I, yeah, I, I, there's so much. There's so much out there, I, you know... If I, if I, you know, like for me, when I see all that stuff and I know who I am as a guitar player and where I am in, in my life, um, I feel like if I, if I had, if I could dip my toe into that world a little bit, like if I, maybe I have a voice in that world, it would be an amazing thing. But there's, there's a lot to celebrate in that whole genre. And, you know, uh, Nikki Barbato, Barbado, Barbado. I call Barbazio, but it is Barbado, I believe. Barbado, yeah, yeah. okay. Anyway, he, I'm, I'm. I'm a huge fan of him as well. Yes. It's great, yeah. And his shit is just badass. It is. And the band with Chris and everyone, that's like... Sick. Yeah. Um, you, and for my career as a guitar teacher, this Wolfpack is inspiring these kids. And yeah. Do you know how many young bass players know how to play Dean Town? Oh, yeah, that's the one, Dean Town, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I could play that. On the guitar, it would take, I, mean, I guess I could take figure weeks it out, to but, get it all down. Yeah. So so many riffs, but it's it's great. Yeah, yeah, I it's mean, really great. <laughs> and it's so you know what's I think what's great about that is uh, is that it's there's you know it's a lot of just you know like and you feel the 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 room that that creates you know that mm -hmm. that living room of is cool you know and then and it it makes the rest of it interesting when he when there's the new pieces of it and all that stuff like yeah it's all, it's all about feel i guess well feel composition and knowing when to go where i don't know they just have cool funky grooves you could dance yeah. to them yeah yeah mm. wolfpack well whatever yeah. dude anyway 
Good talk. Thank you for yeah. coming. Thank you for having me. I was really, um, oh my gosh, this you're going to edit this down, I assume, right? <laughs> <laughs> I usually don't edit them at all because I like the... Oh, yeah. the lull yeah. of uh, the ebb and flow of conversation, right. you know. Yeah, well, you do a great job with it too. You 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 make it easy to just go. So, wow, that's very yeah. nice to you. I've listened to uh, your shows, and it's really it's a great thing you're doing. So, thank you, David. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time to come here. My pleasure. Yeah, it's wonderful. Fascinating stuff and awesome, cool music. Thank you for Thank making you. the music that you make. You oh, you're, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> This is good. And so we'll play people with places I've been places and I've we been. look forward to the new. Yeah. So the the story behind the title, Places I've Been, is that it is it is about the the derivativeness of that song. You know, like this, this song is based on all the stuff that I wanted to do or liked doing, you know, so that's Places I've Been is like uh, it's specifically in the guitar shit. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's how I got that title for that tune. I like Not it. that an instrumental, you know, instrumental titles always... don't have to mean anything or, you know, <laughs> no, but just number cool. them, I suppose, you know. I think they're cool, though. Yeah. I think it's a funny thing because I haven't really written an instrumental piece in a, in a minute, so I'm maybe i got to write some just to... You should. Just to, just it's to a think big, about the title. Big market out there for it now, man. <laughs> <laughs> You should, because you, uh, everyone probably knows this, but you are a monster player. And so I would love to hear you go crazy with something, you know. I know, I should. You know what I would, uh, in terms of that, what I've been into is, um, I think maybe I told you I was really into yoga lately. Me too. Anyway, and we didn't talk about the Aquatic Ape either. I know, Elaine Morgan, Elaine Morgan, the Aquatic Ape. But I'm into that, like, ethereal just in my own practicing with like a reverb pedal crank, right. like been trying to like think like maybe I'll just do some tracks like that just because right. I enjoy it. Right. Like real um, meditative kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Electric guitar. Medit- a lot of people do that stuff right. too, but I was like, I think I could, I would enjoy doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. You should do it. You got the room right here. Right here? Yeah. Just got to make the time. And just hit record like you do. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, David O'Neill, thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. It's been, it's been amazing. Thanks.